Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be. We'll bounce around a little, though. As I said, we're still in our series on worship, looking at worship. What is, what is worship? And last week, we looked at the question, why do we gather together? What is it about the, the gathering? If you didn't have a chance to listen to that message, it is out there on our website and stuff. You can listen to that if you would like. But we see that it's important for us to gather together. It's something that God has called us to do. And it's something that we, that we need to do uh, together because God did not save us alone. I mean, that's a big thing about, about baptism. When we see the, the waters stirred with baptism, what's happening there is we see God's kingdom being built. We see God still working and working amongst us. As a, as a local congregation here, as the body of Christ here. And this is to be done as we, as we gather, right? And it's a good thing to witness that and to see that and to be a part of that. But today, our question that we want to tackle and we want to, to try to get through this morning is the question, how are we called to approach worship? If we're called together, then how should we, how should we do it? How do we, how do we approach that? And I'm not talking about necessarily what the worship service would look like. I'm talking about, first of all, all of us as individuals, as we walk through those doors, our attitude, right, our, our thoughts, even our feelings could be lumped into this. But then together as a whole, how are we approaching God in, in worship together? Now, it's important for us to remember uh, our second sermon in this series, which asks the question, who's the object of our worship? Because that... That's really important as we ask, well, then how do we approach worship? And we know that who we come to worship this morning is God. It's God alone. And in that message, though, we talked specifically about the holiness of God and how God's holiness sets him apart from all of creation. And it sets him apart from us for sure. And having a good understanding of what it means that God is a holy God and in his holiness, it then enables us to be able to approach him the best that we possibly can each time we approach him in worship. And that includes not just our public worship together, which we're doing now, but also as we approach him in our private worship throughout the week as individuals. And you remember that whenever we see in the Bible somebody shown the holiness of God, or whenever they're shown the glory of God, it never was a great experience for that individual. <laughs> it was an experience filled with terror. It was an experience all of a sudden of realization of who they were and even who the people they lived amongst were. Isaiah would say that, right? I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He realized in that moment in Isaiah 6 that he was in the presence of God. He was seeing the glory of God, realizing the holiness of God, and all he could do was proclaim how unworthy he was in that moment. And in that time, I wonder for us, as we come in here this morning and we ask, what are, you know, what are we looking for in worship? Are we looking for a terrible time? I hope not. You might say, well, that's what I constantly get when I come here. Maybe that is true. I'm sorry if that's the case. 
right? But do we really approach God in a way of understanding of who he is? And if we, if we really understand him more, then what's gonna happen is I'm gonna understand myself more. And there's gonna be some realization taking place of how different he is than me. If we're really approaching him correctly and worshiping him how we should. And again, this just happens because he's so different from us. We all walk in this room this morning and we probably did not live out the perfect life this week. You, like me, probably fell short every day. You probably, like me, feel the corrupted nature of sin in our life and the society that we live. You probably, like me, came up to decisions throughout the week knowing what was right and knowing what was wrong and you sheepishly did what was wrong. Even though you knew that, it was wrong. And when we walk into this room as sinners, if we know who we're worshiping, we know that the one that we're coming to worship is perfect in all his ways, perfect in justice, perfect in righteousness. And so that can be pretty weighty, probably should be weighty, as we walk into this room. Now again, I just wanna recall all this because it really is at the base of how we must approach God in our worship. This, this approaching of God needs to be done correctly. It needs to be done well. It needs to be done right. And again, not just as we gather here publicly this morning, which is very important, but also as you worship God as an individual at home or wherever it is, maybe you go to God's word. Are you approaching God as you should? Are we doing it this morning as we should? Now I want to recall for you to remember, uh, there's a passage in scripture in Exodus that we've referred to almost every sermon uh, so far in this series. And you remember, it's the passage where Israel has been saved from Egypt. Okay, they've been, they've been redeemed. God has done a work and saved them from bondage and from slavery. He took them to the Red Sea, allowed them to cross the Red Sea, destroyed the armies of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. They enter into the desert and God calls for them to gather. And he called for them to gather at a mountain, Mount Sinai. Hopefully this is jogging your memory and you remember this. And hopefully you remember what that experience was like at Mount Sinai. It was horrifying. They approach the mountain. God says, don't come close. Don't touch this mountain or you die. Don't let any of your animals get on this mountain or they die. And as the people gathered around Mount Sinai, they, they saw the lightnings and the sound of thunder and they, they saw the mountain tremble and shake. Why? Because the holiness of God had descended on that mountain. The glory of God had descended on that mountain. And so terror struck the Israelites about God, so much so that they basically said, we don't want to see that again. Moses, let that be your job. And then you tell us what he has to say. We don't want to witness this ever again. We don't want to, we don't want to have to go through this. I want to remind us of that because that's where we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 18 to 29. This is kind of the backstory that will help us as we read this section of Hebrews, which again, we've already read in this series, but we're going to read it again as we look at how do we approach worship. So beginning in verse 18, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, a darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. 
indeed so terrifying, was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, there's a lot of good news for us in this passage this morning. It starts again with the terrible sight of the holiness of God descending on the mountain and just how afraid everybody was. That's how this starts out. But then the writer of Hebrews says, but there's good news for us. We do not approach God on Mount Sinai. That's not what we're doing this morning as we gather together, right? He says, we approach God in Mount Zion, right? A city that cannot be shaken a city that has been saved by God's grace. And that's how we gather this morning. But as we continue in this, really I want us to focus on on verse 28. Because say, knowing this, knowing that we don't approach God in fear that he's going to strike us dead because he's saved us. He's forgiven us. He's allowed us to be a part of his family, a part of his kingdom. He's bestowed upon us these great blessings. But yet, As we're reminded of that, the writer then says, therefore, though, if this is true, number one, worship him acceptably. Bring to him acceptable worship if this is true. But number two, do it with reverence and awe. And the reason for that, he doesn't say that afterwards to say, because remember, God is your father and loves you greatly which is the reminder that you think you might get after saying, listen, we don't approach him in fear, the mountain trembling. No, 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 we're his now. Remember this, he he scoops you up in his arms and he cradles you and he loves you. That's not the reminder we get here when it comes to acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. What does it say in verse 29, which is a great verse for you to memorize because it's very short and you could add it to your list. But it says what? Our God's a consuming fire. This balance that we have to remember. Well, first I want to look at this idea of reverence. What does it mean to have reverence for something? What does it mean to revere something? Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, it simply says to honor and respect it. When you revere someone or something, you simply honor them and you respect them. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but 
I think this is something that has all but died in our day and age, in our time of where we live. The idea of, of reverence. No matter where you look, you find a lack of respect, a lack of honor for people in authority. You find it with children and their parents, a great lack of respect that kids have for their parents. You find it just in interactions with fellow man, with neighbors. Just a big lack of respect or any reverence at all for each other. We see the loss of reverence for certain institutions. We see the loss of reverence for even our nation, our country. And sadly, this seems to bleed into the church also. That what's happening outside of these walls does then impact oftentimes, even though it shouldn't, what happens inside these walls and within inside this body, this, this lack of reverence and respect. Now, I understand that this might sound very old fashioned. And I, I even hesitate to talk about this this morning because I, I don't want to come across that way. But I do think it points to something. And I, I want to talk about something very material. And I understand it's very material. And to be honest with you, I'd be one of the first ones to fight against what I'm going to say this morning. So I, I want you to hear it uh, appropriately is my hope. But think about something as simple as the clothes you wear and when you wear them and where you wear them. It wasn't too long ago that you would go to a funeral and everybody was dressed to the nines. I mean, it just is how it was. And why did this happen? Well, maybe it's because that's how society dictated it. But I think it was also because of an idea of reverence, honor, and respect for the one who passed away and for their family. And so we wanted to dress nice for them and knowing what they went through. Well, being at a lot of funerals, I've definitely seen that fade away. In fact, people don't even go to them anymore for the most part. Now, what about weddings? Weddings are the same way. It used to be at a wedding, it was, a, it was something that was taking place and you wanted to honor and respect the family. The bride and the groom wanted to respect each other. And so they took a lot of time to make sure they were dressed well, that it looked nice because of what was happening, what was taking place, right? And there was a reverence to it. There was a, a respectfulness to it. But now, today, not even the bride and groom seem to respect that oftentimes, right? They want to wear other things and show how casual it is. And again, remember, I am all for not dressing up at weddings, okay? So I'm not just trying to be a little fuddy-duddy. I'm just wondering if this shows us something. I remember as a little kid, Thanksgiving. What are we gonna do on Thanksgiving? We're gonna eat until we feel horrible. That's what we're gonna do on Thanksgiving. And then we're gonna sit on a couch and we're probably gonna watch TV. And if we're lucky, we'll get to go outside maybe and play catch or do something like that. And you look forward to that. And what did mom always make me do? Dress up for this occasion. I hated it. I thought this is the dumbest thing. I'm going to grandma's house and I go there all the time. Why is this special? Why do we have to dress up now? Well, that's because there was a little bit of honor and respect for Thanksgiving and the family gathering. And so they would make us dress nice. 
Maybe you still do that in, our, in your family. Ours does not. And I've led that charge faithfully. But again, I just wonder if it's saying something. Or maybe you could make it as simple as when you go out. Maybe you have to run to the grocery store to pick something up. What do you wear when you do that? Do you wear the same thing that you would wear when you just lay down and watch TV? Or do you change into something a little different? Again, it might not mean anything. I'm just trying to get us to think a little bit. Because I do think that, and I say this for one reason, God did make us body and soul. And a lot of times we want to disconnect the two and we cannot do that. God's created them both. And a lot of times how we treat our body is an indicator of what we think of our soul. And I just wonder if we've gotten to the point to where we've pushed that stuff down so much into our society that now there isn't really a reverence, a respect, or a care even for ourselves most of the time, let alone somebody else, right? Again, I don't really care what you wear when you come to church. I don't judge you at all. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad as a family we can be gathered together. I don't care what anybody wears at Thanksgiving. My brother can come in a tux. I'm coming in sweats. It's just all there is to it. But it's just something that I've been thinking about as I've been thinking about this word reverence. See, when we think about coming to worship God, we're called to do it first and foremost with reverence. And I wonder if we still do that. This means we understand who he is. This means we understand the attributes of God, the one to whom we come to worship in praise. And in our life, this should cause some humbleness, again, because of what I talked about earlier, of who he is. We walk into this room very humble, but we have, still have a desire to come before him, and we want to do that exactly how he would want us to do that. We don't want to walk into this room nonchalantly, with no care in the world. No, we need to walk into this room, not because of this room. This room is nothing special. It's just a room where we can gather. But we want to walk into this room in a way that is done purposefully, in a way that is done with godly fear, in a way that is done with reverence. Now again, to get onto the clothes thing again, and again, wear whatever you want, I don't care. I really don't. But if you knew God was gonna be here this morning, what would you have done different this morning? Some of you would have brushed your teeth, actually. Some of you would have got up earlier. Some of you would have went so far as to get your hair cut this week and to really prep and prepare because you're thinking, I'm going to be in the presence of God. And if there's anybody that I should get ready for, it's, it's him. I just think about that. And you notice, I know some of you are judging me right now because I don't have a tie on. I know that. And I don't like ties. And I'm not gonna wear them that often. And so again, I'm not trying to tell you what to wear to church. That's not the point of this section. The point is, how much do you revere him as you come to worship him? How much do you hold him in great honor and respect as one who's much superior to you in all ways, in all forms? You see, I would be the first to argue that if the president was to come, I don't want to dress up for the guy. Right? But I should, because he's the president. 
and I should honor and respect that position. And I should do my best to look nice and to be respectable. But I don't do it because of anything he's done for me. But now God, on the other hand, what has he done to earn my respect, my honor, and my reverence? Well, as a Christian, he's done everything. He's actually done everything. And so if there is one who I should revere, it would be him and him alone. And so I have to question then my attitude when I walk into this room to worship him or when I go to read the word of God to my children at night. Where, where am I at emotionally? Where am I at physically? Where am I at spiritually? What is my attitude in this moment? Because I'm about to read to them the word of God. Am I acting like it? Am I really approaching it that way? Say, Pastor Tim, you're getting pretty legalistic. Maybe. It's just something I've been wondering about reverence. And I wanted you to join me in that thought. Do we revere him as the writer of Hebrews says? But he didn't just say reverence. He also says with awe. Because along with this reverence of God and this even a, a fear of God and who he is, a good, healthy fear of him, revering him, the writer of Hebrews says, but also stand in awe of him. Stand in awe of him. Well, why do we stand in awe of him? Well, we stand in awe of him because of his power. We stand in awe of him because of his might. We stand in awe of him because of his creativity, his ability to control all things. I could go on and on and on. We sit here today and we should marvel at his mercy, marvel in his grace, and his love. We should sit here in awe as we try our best to comprehend how such a holy God would love such a worthless bunch. It should cause us to almost be speechless at times. You remember in the Bible how Jesus would go and his disciples would do this too. They would go to those who were sick and who were lame and they would, they would heal them. And the sick, the sick would be healed. And what usually happened as a result of that? The people would freak out. They would marvel at what just took place. They would stand in awe of the miracle that just happened. This guy hasn't walked in a very long time. And now he's walking. This man has never been able to see. Jesus wipes mud on his face. And he sees and the people are like, what just happened? And you might think the same thing. You might think, oh, it would have been so amazing to be there and to, to marvel at these miracles that happened and that took place. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a miracle. Those baptisms this morning were representative of absolute miracles. You think making somebody blind be able to see is a big deal? Make somebody who does not deserve heaven at all, who actually is a rebel and rebelling against heaven and fighting against heaven, and all of a sudden God reaches out and touches them and saves them by his grace. That's a miracle. The fact that you and I would be called into this room to worship together week in and week out, and God allows that to happen, and God encourages us through his word, and God allows us to sing praise songs to him and to be able to worship him. Miracle. 
It shouldn't happen, but it happens because of his grace and because of his love. And so as we sit here this morning or as we stand and sing this morning, we should be in awe of who God is and what he continues to do for us day in and day out. Every morning, God blesses us with his grace. Oh yes, you sinned yesterday, but the Father's still there loving you and forgiving you today and tomorrow and the next day. He continues to pour it out on you. Do you remember the hymn we used to sing? I think we might be singing it at the end this morning. But as I was studying this, this hymn kept coming to my mind. I was humming it. I stand amazed. Remember that song? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And then we go on to sing, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Do you remember singing that hymn? I remember singing that hymn a million times with no zeal, with no excitement. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. I just wonder this morning how well we would do singing that song. I guess we're going to get a crack at it at the end of service. But is this true for you this morning? Do you really stand in awe of God, in awe of what he has done? You know, this week I watched a basketball player, 18 years old. He's seven foot four, seven foot five, and he played basketball like he was a six foot four guy. I sat and watched that TV in awe, simply in awe. I can't believe that this is happening before my eyes. I never thought I would see the day that somebody that big could play that smooth. And you say, Pastor Tim, you need to do something better with your time. You're probably right, but I'm just saying, it didn't take much for me to be in awe. And then I think about that compared to what my father has done for me. And so let us be careful let us be careful to not approach God in worship in a way that is unacceptable, but to do it in a way where we revere him, where we are in awe of him, to know who he is and what he has done. And as I said weeks ago, this takes work and it takes effort because when we, when we stand in awe of him and when we revere him, it means that we're reflecting on who he is and what he has done. And so... <clears throat> It causes us to prepare for worship. It causes us to go through feelings that maybe we don't want to go through. I don't, I don't want to deal with this sin. I don't want to have to deal with that right now. But that causes us to. And so let us make sure that we don't dumb down or water down this whole church thing. That we don't dumb down and we don't water down this whole public worship thing that we're doing. Or the private worship that you do on your own or the salvation that God has granted you through his son. Don't, don't dumb it down and, and don't water it down. Know what it is. Know what the purpose is because that allows us and helps us to approach him with reverence and with awe. But the Bible says a lot more about how we approach worship, not just with reverence and awe. But if you look, you can flip just a few pages back into Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, 
I'll read one verse for a second. Verse 16. The writer who tells us to approach worship acceptably with reverence and awe gives us another word for worship that's actually pretty remarkable. Because in Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because let's be honest, as we talk about reverence and awe, and as you just sat here for 20 minutes listening to that, you might think like I would think as well, well, when I walk into those doors, I need to do it sheepishly. I need to like sneak in or slither in because that's all that I'm deserving of. Maybe I should fall on my face and crawl into this room in reverence and in awe of him. Is that what, is that what we're looking at? Is that what we're saying here? Well, no, because as believers, we're also called to come in with confidence. Well, where does this confidence come from? Well, amazingly, the writer of Hebrews tells us in the verses just before what I read. So look at verse eight. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Pause. He's telling us that we have this high priest in Jesus who we can go to as our mediator, but who has accomplished all the work that was before us to have a perfect sinless life. He has done that. He can sympathize with us because he came. He came. Fully God, fully man. He lived on this earth in flesh and suffered through everything you and I suffer through. He knows exactly what it's like, but he lived it perfectly. And the writer's saying, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us like the other high priests that we've served under before in our Jewish synagogues and in the temple. We don't have that anymore. We have one who in every respect has drawn near. It allows us to come to him, right? He's tempted, but without sin. Because of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So because of the work of Jesus, because of what he has done, our rest is found in him. And because of that, we can walk into this room, yes, in reverence, yes, in awe, but also with confidence, knowing that we are his because of what he has done, knowing that he is the only one who can give rest to the weary, and knowing that when we walk into this room to worship him how we should, he will do that for us again and again and again. Some of you this week, what you struggled with is you've been trying to find your rest in the things of this world. And as you gather this morning, what God is reminding you today is there's no rest found out there. It's only the rest that can be found in here in the blood of Christ. 
And hopefully what's welling up inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit is a reminder saying, this is you. I've given you this rest. Stop trying to find it in the things of this world. It's, remember, it's not there. You found your rest in me however many years ago. Remember that. Live in that. Be secure in that. Have confidence in that. So we can come with confidence that his rest has been given to us. We can also walk into this room with confidence knowing that we are actually meeting with God when we publicly gather together. And we know this, that God is in our presence. Why? Because he promised he would be. He tells us in his word. When he saves you by his grace, when by faith you believe in him, what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out on you and it says the presence of God is in you. It's in the heart of you as a believer. And so as you and as I and as others who are Christians gather together in this room this morning, to say that the presence of God is not here is saying that none of us then are believers. That none of us have actually been saved by God's grace. And of course he is here. He saved us. And he lives inside of us and he continues to work in us, again, by the power of the Spirit. And as his word is preached, as his word is read, as his word is sung, the Bible tells us very clearly that God uses that in your life and in my life. That he's having a conversation with us, that he is, that he is showing us his truth again and again and again. And so when we gather together, we must make sure that, yes, we come in reverence and in awe, but we also come with confidence, expecting God to work in our lives this morning. And God, what are you gonna show me this morning in your word? God, what truth are you gonna remind me of this morning? And yes, for some of us, it's sin that needs to be dealt with, and that's a struggle. For some of us, what you need to be reminded of this morning is how good God is to you. Again, it's sad, but many Christians walk into this room this morning, and you think your life is worthless. That's what you struggled with all week. No self-esteem. What is the point of it all? Who am I? How could God even love me? What is all this about? But this morning as you sit here, hopefully you hear the truth. It is a good question, how in the world could God love me? But he does. And he sent his son for you to die for you. And as you hold to that and as you cling to that, hopefully it gives you great confidence God is your father who continues to love you and continue to work in your life. But there's more of the ways that we're supposed to come into this room this morning. I don't think I'm gonna get through them all this morning and that's fine. But let's do at least one more. In Psalm 122, verse one, it should be on the screen. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We're called as we worship together to worship gladly. There's, a, there's almost an excitement knowing who it is that we get to worship today. Should excite us, should, should make us glad, knowing that in this room there's other people as we look at each other that he has saved and that he has allowed me to be connected to. Some of it's because of where we live, some of it maybe for other reasons, but all of it is because we're united in Christ together. He saved you and he, he saved me and he's, he's brought us together and this should bring a gladness into my life that we get to gather together this morning and worship that God together. And so when we enter, think about it, when you enter into a, a new relationship, 
whatever it might be, there's normally excitement and there's gladness. You're, you're learning things about this individual and some of it you think is really good and you're glad about it. Others you're like, oh, I don't know about that side, but you keep moving on with the relationship. Maybe it's even just a friendship that you have and it gets to the point where you're excited to see them. You're glad to be able to see them. There, there's a, a thrill about it. Or maybe within your marriage. You remember, we talked about it not too long ago, but that, that marriage ceremony and you see each other. So much thrill there. And so for I don't know how long after, when you, you see them coming down the road or you see them pulling into the driveway, do you remember what welled up inside of you? Yes, they're home. And you're pumped about it. You're glad about it. There's this excitement, isn't there? There's this, this thrill that they, are, they get to come home. The one that I love and the one that loves me is gonna be here. And we're gonna be together. What happens in that marriage relationship? Complacency. We start taking each other for granted. Oh, she's here. She's gonna get on my case about something. You laugh because you know, apparently. <clears throat> but what happens, I think, oftentimes in marriage, and I'm thankful for this from God, it gets a good gift from God, I think, in marriage. At least I hope it's happened to you. Those feelings of gladness return again and again and again. You have your dry spells, maybe. Then it starts to happen again. God works within your marriage, reminds you of how lucky you are, how blessed you are, and you start to feel that again. Or maybe one of you gets sick and there's a little bit of a scare and God saves you from that sickness and all of a sudden the spouses are like, man, I'm glad you're around. Took something to bring it back up. I think when we worship God, we need to be reminded of our gladness that's found in him. Be reminded of what he has done for us this is why we can never get past the gospel as a church. Because the gospel continues to remind us who we were and what he has done to change us. And we need to remember that because if we don't remember that, then it's impossible for us to stand in reverence. It's impossible for us to approach him in awe. It becomes impossible for us to come with confidence or with gladness because we let the murkiness and the cloudiness of the things of this world come into our life and to challenge those feelings. Well, then lastly, I'll end with this one. I don't know what I'll do with the other points. I got plenty more. I don't know what I'll do with them. But lastly, Psalm 95.2. The psalmist says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We talked about this a little bit last week about why do we gather? I asked you the pointed question. Why do you come here? And you remember I talked to the teenagers and said, you're forced to come here, many of you. But then I went up to the adults and said, but many of you feel forced by the dead grandparents, but you still feel that hovering over you. Or by your mom who lives states over, but you still are gonna get the call. Did you go to church this morning? And you don't wanna lie, and so that's why you show up. But we looked through that question of why do you come here? And the psalmist here reminds us, and the psalmist before in Psalm 122, as we gather together, let this not be drudgery. 
but let it be something we have a privilege to be a part of. We're thankful for what God has done, thankful that God has redeemed us from the grips of sin, that has made us right with him, that he's seated us with Jesus at his right hand. Could you imagine being part of that Israelite camp as you're walking across the Red Sea and you get to the other side and maybe you're the last one? Can you imagine if you were the last one in that group? You can hear the thundering herd behind you and you're going across that Red Sea and you finally get to to dry ground and all of a sudden that Red Sea just swallows them up. I mean, how do you feel at that moment? I mean, you must just fall on your knees on that shore in thankfulness to God. You saved my life and you saved me from my enemy. I didn't think I was going to make it. I was the last of the group. Everybody else was so much faster than me, and I was barely catching on. But guess what? You waited for me. You, you saved me, and I get to witness this and see this. Can you imagine how glad and how thankful you would be at that next worship service? Oh, to be with your family in peace. To be with your fellow nation of Israelites who's God's chosen people and to be able to worship him after witnessing the plagues that he would put on Egypt and then to save you in that Red Sea moment. Once again, God has done that for us. He saved us and done what we just simply couldn't do. He's redeemed us from the grips of sin and Satan. And so as we come, let our hearts overflow that by the fact that we actually have the privilege to worship him, that he, he wants us to be here in his presence and to sing his praises, not just for him, but because he works in us in the midst of that as well. People will pay tickets. They'll pay a price to go see athletes who inevitably, listen, are going to disappoint you. Ask Pastor Spencer. His Cardinals lost awesomely yesterday. But you do it again and again. You buy season tickets and you spend thousands of dollars. Why? Just of hopes that you can sing the praises of these people in thanksgiving because they've won and given you what you hoped for and what you wanted. But far too often it ends in disappointment. When we gather in this room, there's never a disappointment. We never have to read in scripture anywhere. And on this day, God lost. On this day, the family of God perished and was no more and was never heard of again. On this day, the family of God, this person of God, disappointed the whole family and they were left behind for dead because they weren't cared for anymore. We don't see that. We gather together this morning and we worship our Father who the Bible tells us has written our name in the Lamb's book of life and that nobody has an eraser to erase it. If you're a Christian this morning, there's no way for your name to be removed from the Lamb's book of life. There's no disappointment. There's no lack of success. There's nothing like that that's ever gonna take you away to where God will say, you know what? I just messed up with this one. And because of that, we can walk in this room with great confidence. 
with glad hearts, full of thanksgiving, regardless of what had happened this week, but we can walk in this room saying, even though the world presses on me horribly, I praise you because it cannot take me from you. It can't. It can't happen. So I hope as you approach God in worship, as you think about that each week when you walk in, I hope you'll think about these few words and maybe next week we'll stay here and do the rest. I don't, I don't know. Reverence. Awe. Confidence. Gladness. And thanksgiving are these words that describe your attitude as you approach worship this morning. If not, I think there's some way for you to respond to God. We are gonna sing a song at the end. We always do that, but it's an opportunity for you to respond to the word of God by singing praises to him, singing a hymn to him, but also a time for you to pray. Is it difficult for you to walk in here and to worship him? The question would be, why? For some, you say, well, it's because I've lost loved ones or I've lost friends, and so it reminds me when I come in here. Well, I hope, by God's grace, they're at home with the Lord. Some of you, I know that's true. There are loved ones at home with the Lord right now, seeing his holiness, being in his glory. And we should come thankful that that's the case. Thankful that one day we will be there too as Christians. But let us with glad hearts worship God, hopefully week in and week out. Well, let's bow together. Let's pray. And like I said, then we'll sing a song and hopefully you'll be able to respond to the word of God this morning how you need to. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that I've been faithful to teach it and to preach it. God, help us. God, we have difficulty walking this line of reverence and awe, but also confidence, gladness, and thanksgiving. And so God, help us in that. Help us to honor you with our life. Help us to honor you with our singing, with our giving, with everything, with everything that we do as we approach you in, in worship. We want to do it well. And God, as it says there in Hebrews, as we offer you acceptable worship, we are to do it with reverence and all because you are a consuming fire. And so God, I pray that that would be on our mind because God, I know I fail at that too often. Living in a day and age where reverence and honor just isn't around as much. Forgive me for how I will put that on you. Yes, you are my loving father. Yes, you care for me. But you are God Almighty what I am not. And so help me to walk that balance very clearly in my life, but also as we gather together. God, this morning, I pray that you would use your word in the hearts and in the lives of believers in this place. God, as we sing this last song to you, help us to do it with honor and respect, but worshipfully, lovingly, knowing that you are the one and the only one who can save a soul. And God, for some reason, you've saved mine. And God, I know there's other here this morning can say the same thing. You have saved them. You've redeemed them. Help us, God, with one voice now to worship you. 
through this song we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.